Welcome to The Power of Attorney, a podcast from Rutgers Law School. I'm your host and Dean of the Law School, Joanna Bond. I'm here today with Rear Admiral William Dwyer. Thanks for the opportunity to, to be here, uh, Joanna, um, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to the Rutgers community. Can you tell us a little bit about your origin story, how you got to where you are today? Well, um, I'm a, a Jersey kid. I, I grew up in Bridgewater, New Jersey, um, fifth of six kids. Um, so I went to high school at, at St. Peter's Prep in Jersey City, so it's used to a, a long uh, trip from Bridgewater all the way, which back then was was a lot farther probably than it was considered today. Um, graduated from the prep and uh, headed to the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, an opportunity. I, I come from a military family. My father was a Marine, so I looked for an opportunity to serve my country. Uh, went off to uh, ships in Guam and Hawaii and off to Navy Dive School. And then I was I, I wanted to go to law school. Um, I had a few different paths, but I wanted to go back to New Jersey to go to law school. So I chose the opportunity to uh, to go to Rutgers. That's great. Well, your history as a Jersey kid is something I can relate to. I'm also from New Jersey. I grew up in North Jersey, and it wasn't until I started as dean at Rutgers that I realized there's there's a big there's a big divide between North Jersey and South Jersey. But you mentioned uh, that that you wanted to return to law school uh, at Rutgers. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you chose Rutgers specifically? Well, having grown up just up the road from New Brunswick uh, in Bridgewater, I'd spent a lot of time there. A lot of friends had gone there, and I, I knew the reputation of the school as a terrific school. Um, I, I went a kind of a different path than a lot of law students when I, I decided to go uh, at night. I wanted to keep working. I was a little older, so I had uh, five years experience and chose to, to take that route. Um, so an opportunity uh, brought me to the area in terms of the jobs I worked uh, for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey uh, during that period of time. Um, so it, it gave me an opportunity to both advance a career while studying law at the same time. That's fantastic. And and I understand your background as part of a military family and why you'd have an interest in the military. Where does your interest in the law come from? Well, I think they're very Congress. I mean, in terms of the, the military, you know, we're about good order and discipline. And, 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 you know, when you join the service, you take an oath to this board and defend the Constitution. So you're you're very kind of steeped in the law, and, and anyone who serves in the military kind of under, should understand that uh, in, important, uh, solemn oath that they take. Um, so for me, I had always had an interest in political science uh, as well, in history and 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 uh, government classes, both from my days uh, in high school through college. So naturally, really enjoyed that. And then getting to law school, didn't really know what to expect. You know, you you read about what that's like, but I, I think again, going at night is such a unique experience and. The fact that Rutgers offers that um, is not just a service to the community, but it also just offers, it just broadens the whole community because it brings in a lot of folks who have some, often some job experience. And Rutgers really does it well where I really blended, we blended with day students and got to know them uh, really well. We were one of the first classes in the New Street building, uh, which was pretty neat. Um, and you really got to know a lot of those, those folks well. That's great. That's fantastic. Well, having taught some night students in my past, I do know that that they bring incredible 
life experience to the class and it it really enriches the class discussion. So so I completely agree with you. It's a really unique learning opportunity and and it enhances the teaching experience too. All right, so so let's do a softball round robin. What was your favorite and least favorite class in law school? Well, I, I don't know that I had a, a least favorite, maybe one of the first year courses that was maybe a, a grind, but I, I I think not so much of subjects, but professors. Like I think of Frank Askin was a terrific professor that I had, uh, Gary Francione. I took his philosophy in the law class, which was uh, very interesting. Uh, again, we were when I was in law school, it was shortly after with during 9-11 and then uh, during that period afterwards. So just an interesting period of transition and where the country was um, and to really see the diversity of thought and opinion. And I, I think really the respect everyone had for a variety of opinions, which I hope still exists today, really can say it existed there. Some folks showed up. Uh, there were I wasn't the only one in the military. Other folks were as well. And sometimes even evening students would show up in uniform if they needed to. And I think it was just a, a great community uh, for that. And I would also say... Um, Hal Braff, he was a uh, an adjunct, uh, famous, he, probably more famous for his son being a uh, the Scrubs guy uh, on the Scrubs TV show. But Hal Braff was uh, my negotiations professor, and I remember coming in the first day, just being a little late again. Being it was a it was a I think it was a four o'clock class, so it was one of those ones that really uh, you had a lot of crossover between day and evening students, and being late the first day and calling me out in front of sixty students and going up to him afterwards and kind of talking to him about it. And he's like, oh, that was just an act. That was part of my class to really kind of get the class into it uh, because it's all about negotiations, right? And he was just a really interesting uh, professor. And it, it, what, what I liked even more about it is he, he gave back to the community. He was a successful uh, lawyer in a successful practice, but he grew up in New Jersey and he uh, had a Rutgers tie and wanted to come back and serve that. And I, I've taken that myself. I've, I've, I'm an adjunct uh, law uh, professor at Miami Law School when I was from the time I was stationed down in South Florida, as well as the opportunity to teach uh, at the School of Public Policy at Texas A&M. So I've taken on that kind of approach to give back where you can and share your knowledge with uh, with other folks. So I, I appreciate what Professor Braff did uh, way back when. That's fantastic. And I think you're so right about that. Being an adjunct is is often a great way to give back to your community. And, and I think a lot of times people really love the interaction with students. They can relate to having been a student and, and they enjoy that connection and relationship with the students. So I'm thrilled to hear that you're you're doing some of that teaching yourself and that you had a great experience while you were at Rutgers Law School. That's great. I, I had no idea that we had a connection to the Braff family. <laughs> But uh, I think you're right that that at least his son is well known for the the TV role in Scrubs. Uh, okay, great. So favorite place to eat nearby? Oh, definitely McGovern's. It was again being an evening student. We had we made sure that we set up certain days. Thursday was the night everyone would go to McGovern's, um, but we also ensured that we were a full functioning part of the law school. We had an evening students association. We also, some of us participated in student bar as well to, to ensure that that part of the community really flowed to the evening students. So we made sure we, we built that. And uh, McGovern's is always great. It was a, a great atmosphere. I understand it's a little, I haven't been back in years. Would love to go back next time I'm in Newark. Um, but it's a, it was a, a great spot to go. Um, and really, a, a, uh, it was always fun to unwind after a hard weekend. Again, as you said before, the evening students have a variety of ex, uh, experiences 
it's in different jobs. And, you know, we had folks with a, a, a myriad of different things they did from, from being from teachers to real estate to, to you name it. But uh, that would get us all together talking about what we learned that week and where, what, what else we were doing. So that, again, that uh, variety of opinions and variety of thought was always uh, fun to come together over a, a few beers and wings on a Thursday night. That's fantastic. That's a great tradition. And and I understand McGovern's is still very much a part of the life of the law school, although I have not yet made it there. So I feel like I don't have, I don't really have credibility until I've, you gotta I've go. had a beer at McGovern's, right? <laughs> so that's on my list. Uh, well, good. Okay, great. Go. And, um, favorite place in Newark? I'd probably say Penn Station. So I, I um, as I said before, I commuted from Bridgewater into uh, Jersey City and you had to go through to catch the path train. Um, and then when I was in law school as well, sometimes catching uh, the uh, Newark City subway back when it wasn't the nice uh, light rail that it is today, back when it was the old, those 50s subway cars that were still plying their way through the, the streets of Newark. So, and it's such a beautiful building, right? It, and that has so, such a great history uh, to the city of Newark. And it, it you know, knowing uh, how, how old the city is and all the uh, wonderful things that have taken place in it and it's such a it, it's an institution still today and it's it's well utilized for the pub, for the folks taking public transportation it's still uh, a necessary and important uh, jewel of the city absolutely it's it in addition to being very functional it's also just beautiful i agree completely um, i'm still learning the history around the city of newark but but it's a city that is incredibly rich in history and um and it's nice to slowly discover that Okay, great. So let me ask you, what was the most important thing you learned at Rutgers Law? And it may be it may be difficult to identify just one thing, but but if you uh, had to focus on one thing that really transformed your thinking, what what would that be? Well, I would say a few things. It it, it helped me refine time management. Uh, you know, having been in the military and having gone to service academy, really kind of had developed pretty good time management. But then add on top of it a job and trying to take. A load of classes. I was, you know, I was. I'm, I'm married, so I think we were in our fourth or fifth year. I want to say uh, maybe third year when I started law school of marriage, and by the time we graduated, we had twins. So just uh, um, all, all those things balanced into one. Just to realize making every minute of the day count, and you really had to be able to do that. And I'd also add just the ability to like think to further think critically. Uh, lawyers play such an important role in any organization as those that speak truth to power. And I can say the same in the military. I've had some, a variety of different assignments, but you know, and one of my more recent assignments was the general counsel or chief counsel for US Southern Command as the staff judge advocate or senior lawyer. So you're often in the room giving your best military advice to a commander, but you're there to counsel and be counsel and counselor at the same time. And you're one of the few people in the room that often doesn't have a, a vested interest besides what you think is right based on you know, law and policy, uh, as opposed to say someone, in, if we're uh, thinking about an operation, the operations officer probably may have a different opinion perhaps than I do, or the engineer may have a different opinion, but often the lawyer will help think critically and bring that unique perspective. And that's why the, the role of a lawyer is so critical in any organization. And, and those in, whether you're in business or politics or the military, being able to utilize your lawyer in the right way is an, is an amazing tool uh, in your arsenal. And if you're not using that right, you're probably missing, you know, an, an, an important point of view. Great. Well said. Uh, that's fantastic. Okay. So, so can you tell us a little bit about 
what your current role entails in the U.S. Coast Guard as as its first chief prosecutor. Okay, so uh, in the National Defense Authorization Act of 2022, uh, Congress uh, uh, changed the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Now, the Uniform Code of Military Justice has been around since 1951. It came in the aftermath of World War II to kind of make it, in lack of a better word, uniform in terms of how we applied uh, justice and investigations to military members accused of uh, offenses. Um, and again, if you're a military member, you're subject to a, a unique set of laws under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Uh, it looks a lot like civil law, um, but when you're in uniform and, and you're, you're, you're subject to that 24 uh, hours, seven days a week as an active duty member. So Congress, um, basically, based on how they uh, perceived the response to allegations of sex assault in the military, decided to uh, change the way in which the decisions were made to move forward with prosecuting cases. So previously, um, since the founding of the UCMJ in 1951, commander, commanding officers uh, as convening authorities of court martials had the authority to decide based on legal advice whether a case moved forward or not uh, when they were they would be given you know legal legal counsel uh, based on probable cause to decide whether a case would move forward or not. Congress was not satisfied with some of the, some of the way either for time or outcome or uh, victims' rights and decided that they were going to change the law. And when they did, what what they created was a system where there will be um, uh, special trial counsel, and that's uh, folks who will reside outside of the regular military chain of command and will provide um, a prosecution for certain offenses. Now there are a number of offenses. Uh, there's a uh, when there, there's about there's 13, uh, and there'll be a 14th here in in 2024. But they mainly deal with your most serious victim-centric crimes. So think uh, murder, kidnapping, stalking. But the ones that were most important to Congress were really, I think, the the sex assault, uh, 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 anything from more serious uh, rape down to uh, unlawful touching, for example, maybe. Uh, uh, fall under that as well. So those cases now will be decided through my office, for the Coast Guard anyway, through my office, the Office of Chief Prosecutor. The Department of Defense has established these offices of Special Trial Counsel as well, for the other four Department of Defense services. We work very closely in a joint environment as we look to uh, build our uh, policies and procedures in taking on these uh, Mile, these milestone changes to the UCMJ. So what you see is as of December 28th of this year is when this will go into effect. And then from that point on, any of those victim-centric crimes, which I described, will be um, investigated and then uh, prosecuted. Uh, and the decision to move forward will, will reside with a military judge advocate or lawyer versus a uh, convening authority. And, and, and furthermore, for the Coast Guard, what's different is we're also, we'll also prosecute all the non-covered offenses. But, and by that, I mean other offenses under the Uniform Code of Military Justice that are not covered in these victim censure crimes. So think of assault or fraud, for example, or, or other military uh, crimes. We would prosecute uh, those. That's that's fascinating. And it sounds like a significant change in, in terms of the process. So do you anticipate that that taking those decisions outside the chain of command will will have an impact on, on how those cases are handled? Well, I think what, one of the issues is there's a perception uh, and I don't comment on whether it's true or not. There's a perception of a, a loss of trust or transparency to some extent. The idea is Congress wanted to put that in the hands of experienced judge advocates 
because they may have the, 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 the time, experience, education to make these decisions. And in a lot of ways, it will it will look like and appear like a district attorney's office in some ways where that decision really would reside with a lawyer on evaluating a case and the and and all the elements and the and the uh and presented to decide whether a case moved forward previously again it would be a commander who would get uh who would get advice from a, a lawyer but ultimately they would own that decision um and the i i believe that my perception again is that the feeling among amongst, amongst congress is that a, a judge advocate may be less persuaded by other things besides the facts and the evidence uh, when they would decide to move forward or not with a with a case. That's fascinating. I, I appreciate you explaining those developments in the law. Uh, I know that this isn't your first time stepping into a newly created role. You were also the first Coast Guard officer assigned as staff judge advocate for U.S. Southern Command in Doral, Florida. How do you tackle these positions that, that didn't really exist before you filled them? You're sort of creating a new position as you go. How does that work? Well, unlike that, unlike the position I'm in today, that position, the position that exists, I was just the first one from my service ever to fill that role, which was unique for us. Again, amongst the uh, military services, the Coast Guard is the smallest by far, 42,000 active duty, um, and also has a unique role in the military and that we um, are the only military service that resides outside of the Department of Defense. And that's because of the nature of the, what the Coast Guard does. It's an, always a military, a Title 10 military service, Title 10 U.S. Code. Um, but it also is a regulatory agency. It's a maritime law enforcement agency. It's a member of the intelligence community. Wears many hats for a small organization. So sometimes some of these uh, larger, higher profile uh, joint jobs, and by joint, I mean once among among the many services, are not often provided to us. So I was fortunate enough to uh, interview for that job with uh, uh, a Navy admiral, and uh, he took a chance on me and gave me that opportunity and uh, wound up serving there for four years and really greatly enjoyed that opportunity, learned a lot from that. But I, I think in going into any any new job, obviously, the first thing you have to go in is 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 to be humble and realize you have a lot to learn. And uh, and and realize that you will you will gain the respect of your teammates when you show that you know that level of humility when you when you walk through the door and then you know working being able to work as a member of a team um, and, and 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 lead your folks and 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 take chances where you need to um, so again going in finding out what the job has to be done and but in ensuring that uh, the right answer doesn't always need to come from you it'll come from the team and if you build the team correctly you'll be able to build that trust and that communication amongst your teammates. So not only in, in that previous job at U.S. Southern Command, but in this in my current job now, just you know, working hard to ensure we have the, the, the procedures and policies in place to do our job, but also ensure that we have the trust amongst the team. And uh, again, I, I can't really um, overstate the, the role that humility plays in, in building that, that team right, and especially as a senior leader, when they when they know that you don't always have all the answers, but uh, it, it provides uh, your team with somewhat comfort as well, because they know they're working together to, to solve those problems uh, with you. Absolutely. Great advice. As someone who stepped into a new role very recently and, and built a leadership team, I, I completely agree with you. And that really resonates. Uh, yes, the the necessary humility and and reliance on, on really strong team members. Um, absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah, you really can't. I, I think 
you have to realize that asking questions is a good thing, and especially as a as as a um, as a leader of an organization, and, and it it sh- it allows people to demonstrate their knowledge to you, but also helps make you better in what you do uh, every day um, as well. And it really goes a long way again to build that cohesion. Uh, to to ensure that that the team can can function properly in not just good times, but it, when you're hit, hit with adverse uh, times as well. Right, absolutely, and and to be comfortable with not knowing the answer to all of the questions, particularly at, when you step into a new role, I think is really important. As someone with a both a legal and a military background, how do you balance the responsibilities of upholding the law while also fulfilling your military duties? Well, I think that th- those two things are very much uh, congruent. The fact is, as I said earlier, any, you know, especially an officer in the U.S. military, you take an oath to support and defend the Constitution. So you're well aware of the law um, and you're well aware of the chain of command and what role that plays. An interesting uh, balance is a- as an attorney, though, because having spent a little time when I was uh, sort of stepping back from my own career, I, I did spend a little time with a with a, a, a New York maritime firm when I first got out of uh, law school before I went back on active duty um, for a period of time. And you, 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 what you understand is, uh, as you well know from your experience in law, law firms are often flat organizations, right? In the sense that whether you're the managing partner or an associate, you should be able to communicate rapidly and quickly across those echelons quickly. So because that's the only way you're going to be successful. And to Bring that to a military construct is is somewhat challenging because I find when I talk to my team, I want to know what they think and I want to know uh, where they're going on on certain projects. And we're, but we also have to be sensitive that that there is a chain of command uh, in place at all times. So it is a balance, but I think the two go uh, hand in hand. Especially the fact that as as in my current role as a military justice practitioner, we're really the sentinels of good order and discipline in our service. Uh, the reason why people join the military. Uh, is because it is something different. They're they're you know subject uh, subjugating themselves to this different system, and th- that system's really upheld through the role of, of of military judge advocates because they're the only ones uh, who can 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 have this function or this process. And I say that because I in, in my current role now, when I'm talking about you know opportunities or, or resources, uh, the the really the only reason mil- the lawyers existed in the military was really to carry out the function of ensuring good order, good order and discipline to the military justice process. Now, over time, they've grown to a rather large national security apparatus, for example, all very, very important roles, but not required. The only real required role under the law and that Congress has demanded is to be involved in and in, in be there for the military justice practice, both from prosecution as well as that we use them for defense practice as well. Great, great. Well, you may or may not be able to answer this, Bill, but but what's your next move? What's your next career move? Uh, and what's your ultimate goal? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just honored and humbled to be able to lead the team that I just stepped into. Uh, we'll see where 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 that where that where that leads. Um, and just I, and I, I again, it's a, it's a real special feeling to be able to wear the cloth for a nation every day. And I, I, I really mean it in the sense that I've been doing this for uh, 28 years I've been in, in, associated with the military. And if you count my academy time, I guess more than that. And I still love it. I still love the opportunity to be able to put on a uniform and and serve with a team. And I, I think that's 
definitely something more rare today than uh, than ever before. And that folks move around different jobs and have you know job satisfaction is what it is. But I, I really enjoyed enjoy what I'm doing, and I'll do it as long as they let me. On a personal front, I've just dropped off my my kids in, in college. I have twin girls, and again, they started this journey with me. I was just about finishing law school. And I uh, just uh, dropped one off at the Naval Academy, one at the University of Virginia. So I'm excited to see how they do over the next few years as well. Like anything else in life, keeping balance is important. And for me, that that balance and of family as well as uh, uh, my my position and my role, my responsibilities in the Coast Guard are two things I, I take very seriously. And again, and my, and my wife and I are getting to know each other a little more again now that now that we're empty nesters. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure that's true. Well, your your approach to leadership is so thoughtful. I, I really appreciate knowing that that you are in the position that you're in. And and I hope that wherever the next step is, where whatever it leads you to, that you'll stay in touch with Rutgers Law School. We're very proud to count you among our alums. Uh, so speaking of Rutgers Law School, what advice would you give to law students who aspire to pursue a career in the military or or combine legal knowledge with a military profession? I, th I think that provides great opportunity um, uh, from a practical perspective. It can be a, a method to fund undergraduate or law school. So say through the uh, post 9-11 GI Bill is a great example. Um, um, but from uh, from another point of view, it, it provides this amazing leadership laboratory that really only exists in the military uh, in that we take young people and we put them in uh, positions of, of great responsibility um, early on and test their ability to do that. Um, and they, and they, for generations and for generations to come, they, they succeed in that. So I think it, it provides a great opportunity. And whether you choose to, it to be a career as I've done, or whether you serve and decide to go back and, and serve in some other uh, way in your community or your hometown, it provides you a great basis for that and an experience and do that. I, I believe, I think service is important and it comes in many forms. I'm, I'm married to a, 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 a elementary high school teacher um, Aaron's travel everywhere we've lived. We've lived uh, all over the world in our career, from Hawaii to Guam to Alaska to Germany uh, to throughout the U.S. And she's taught in those different places, um, and kind of showed me that again, service comes in, in in many forms. And I think that's important to remember that you can serve your community uh, in many forms. And also state that you know the opportunity to serve in the military is a privilege, and I and I think. Are the the oxygen or the lifeblood of our democracy really requires those to step up and and want to and want to serve and again in a variety of roles I've chosen the military but it, it's important that we realize that you know the military reminds us that it's not all about us and it's not always about a paycheck but it's about a purpose um, and to have purpose is so important um, in in a, in a, a fulfilled life. That's absolutely true. And and I love your observation that public service comes in many forms. I, I think that that is true. And and your wife is a great example of that. I think I think our, our teachers are certainly providing a public service. Um, and many lawyers will be tapped to be leaders within their communities, whether it's within their local bar association or within their law firms or the legal aid agency that they're working in. I, I think that that Rutgers does a very good job of preparing people for positions of leadership. And we certainly talk explicitly about the value of public service. So, so what you have said just now really resonates with, with me and with the Rutgers mission. 
I also love the concept of a leadership laboratory. That's that's great. Uh, I think that that we're we're providing that in in some different ways um, here on campus as well. So those those observations are are really astute observations about uh, law and leadership. I want to ask you about something completely unrelated now. Uh, and that is, I know you're trained as a military diver. So can you tell us about the, the hairiest dive situation that you've encountered? Um, well, I think so for me, I, I, I went to dive school back in 1998. And I was trained as a salvage diver. Um, so basically what we would do is, is we would do inspections of ships at depth. But for the Coast Guard, we particularly use them for uh, the rather what some people consider a mundane task of if you notice when you've ever on a boat, you'll see these buoys floating in the water. Well, they're connected to chain and they're connected to these giant five to 10,000 pound rocks. And if anyone's studied liquids or uh, other engineering, you know that as water passes, it breaks those down over time. So every few years, you'll need to change out the, the, the chain as well as the uh, the shackle as well as the uh, the rock at the bottom. When I say rock, it's a five to ten thousand pound piece of concrete. You'll be changing that out. So it's probably I, I think uh, we were diving in in Midway. I would probably say, uh, and it was a, a a pretty good surge. And that usually when you're diving at depth, you try to control your depth to some extent. And this is one where there was probably like a, a 20 to 25 foot swell as you're working underwater. It just takes a higher level of concentration. Um, that would be one. Another interesting one is we did um, uh, net retrieval. So the Northwest Hawaiian Islands, for those who know geology, the Hawaiian Islands are on a, a huge tectonic plate that as it moves across, it forms more islands. That's why if you look at a map of the world, you'll see the Hawaiian Islands trail off because that over millennia, that's how the islands have formed and the island of Hawaii is still growing today. It's accreting as as you see the volcano erupt. Um, so we would go to the Northwest Hawaiian Islands, which are uninhabited, and uh, we would retrieve net. And because what happens is fishermen often, commercial fishermen especially, they would just cut their nets and let them drift. They would get caught in these huge um, air coral uh, beds, and then uh, animals would get stuck in them. So marine, uh, marine mammals, for example, would get stuck in them. Think Hawaiian monk seal, which is endangered species. So. Doing that was a, an amazing trip just for what we saw, uh, but also what we experienced underwater as well, because you're in these areas that not many people in the world ever get to visit or see. Um, so there's these beautiful, beautiful places and the, the, the sea life that's down there from tiger sharks to you name it that are, are around you are, are, are pretty amazing uh, in terms of uh, in, in terms of um, what you can um, uh, what, what you see and what you experience. Um, yeah, that, those, those are probably the two neater ones I can think of. There was no, um, yeah, I did some hull inspections from time to time looking for certain things, but, uh, that's, that's about it. But I, I guess I would say though, on teamwork piece is just as important there as well, because you work in a team, especially a, a way the dive team works is. You know, we're all Navy trained, so those are divers go to Navy dive school. So that's what I, who yeah, deep sea Navy diver. Um, but we all train together. But you learn to you learn how to plan a mission, execute a mission, and debrief a mission together, and ensure that everyone who's going out is able to uh, successfully complete the mission, come home safe, and that they're not impacted, say medically from from their dive. And again, that's part of the whole planning your dive to depth to ensure that folks are are safe along the way and they get back to the surface without any. Uh, 
further repercussions. Right. That makes sense. That that's fantastic. And and I wonder, uh, have you seen the movie about the Thai soccer team that that needed rescuing oh, by professional yeah, divers? Yeah, the cave dive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anxiety inducing movie. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Indeed. So on a recre couple of times recreationally we were able to dive into some ships. We never planned that from a from a professional diving perspective, but recreationally got to do that in a part of the world called the Chuk in Micronesia, which is where the uh, the Marianas Turkey shoot in World War II. It's a, a famous battle where the U.S. actually sunk part of the Japanese fleet right there in Chuk Lagoon. Uh, they still had ships with Japanese zeros still intact in the ship, and you could dive into the ship and actually sit in the cockpit of one of these aircraft uh, that were still uh, underwater. And it was again just an amazing, you know, space to visit. Also, you know, sacred spaces well in the sense that you were trying not to disturb anything but witness it, but a chance to really touch history. That's incredible. What an incredible experience. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your service and and thank you for for speaking with us today. Uh, you're you're a shining example of what our alumni go on to do. So I appreciate you visiting with us and and I hope that some prospective students or current students have the opportunity to to uh, learn from your insights. So thank you again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity. Congratulations on, on your new role. And again, yeah, if any, if any students or prospective students have interest in the military, want to talk about being a judge advocate, always uh, willing to connect them, speak to them, mentor them uh, in that process. Thank you again. Well, thank you. All right. Take care. The Power of Attorney is a production of Rutgers Law School. With two locations just minutes from New York City and Philadelphia, Rutgers Law offers the prestige and reputation of a large nationally known university with a personal small campus experience. Learn more today by visiting us at law.rutgers.edu.